tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that tonight at the close of the service, we've got a young man who's going to announce his call to preach tonight. And we're going to have a prayer time with him. Exciting things are happening. Amen. All right. We're going to pick up this morning from this morning where we left off in chapter um, 3 of, uh, of uh, Gen- uh, 1 Timothy there. And um, I want to pick it up. And second, we're actually in Second Timothy chapter four is where I left off. Second Timothy chapter four. If you want to turn there, and guys, if you want to put that up on the wall, Second uh, Tim- Timothy chapter four, going down through uh, some of the verses. But we're we're down in in verse number five. We left off this morning by he said to exhort. He said to exhort there in verse number two with all long suffering. And I tell you, long suffering is part of love. Charity suffereth long. And if you're going to pastor a church and be in the ministry, you're going to have to suffer long with yourself and with other people. He said, he said, exhort with all long suffering in doctrine. Doctrine is important. Doctrine ought to be taught. Doctrine has to be taught. Doctrine is what does the Bible teach? <clears throat> the Bible said in verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will after their own lust heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I think we're there. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now here he again tells the pastor what to do, a preacher. He said, but watch thou in all things. Now watching again is like being vigilant vigilant in in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. uh, Watching, being alert, observing what's going on, ready to warn, being aware of what's happening, being spiritually alert. And I would say in in a certain way, daddies, you are a bishop to your family. God wants you to be spiritually alert to what's happening with your children, within your home and so forth, and respond scripturally with that. So watching is very, very important. And uh, watching for false doctrine, watching for wrong influences, that which is of the world, that which is unholy or disobedient. Then in verse 5, he also says to endure afflictions. Verse 5 in 2 Timothy 4, he says to endure afflictions. In America, we don't have a lot of what I'd call honest-to-goodness afflictions, but we have some and different types of afflictions, but not a lot of physical persecution like they do in some countries. But God says endure afflictions. David said in the Psalms different times, it's good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy precepts. It's good for a person to have affliction. It'll draw you close to God. You respond to it right. Uh, It'll help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then in verse number five, he also said, do the work of an evangelist. Surely every preacher ought to be a soul winner. Surely every preacher ought to want to do the work of an evangelist to reach you. Evangelist's primary situation is to uh, win people to Christ. A pastor's primary thing is to help them grow in the Lord after they've been saved. And we need evangelists. We had in the, uh, during the history of this country, we have had evangelists who did great works for the Lord. D.L. Moody, of course. Uh, you go back to Jonathan Edwards and to um, another man or two I'm thinking of there. Billy Sunday was a great evangelist. And these people, these men's calling were to win people to Christ. And uh, to get them saved and then uh, get them into the church where they could grow in the Lord. Evangelist, his job is to warn people. People need to be warned of the wrath to come, to flee from the wrath to come. And to also tell them there is a remedy and there is hope in Jesus Christ and they can be saved and they can be saved from the wrath to come. They need to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he said uh, further, when you get down there, he said, he said, uh, if you get down there, he said, make full proof of thy ministry. And this is a big issue here. Make full proof of thy ministry. Uh, Paul said about Demas, he said, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Paul's going to finish up there in this chapter in 2 Timothy and say, all men have forsaken me. So only Luke is with me. It can be very, very lonely, <clears throat> but God says to make full proof of your ministry. 
I would say in that, be consistent, just be faithful, just stay at it, whether it's everything looks good and going good or whether it's looking like it's all falling apart. There's really one thing God has asked us to do, and that's to be faithful. Just keep on keeping on. Don't quit. I've often told young preachers, cut the word quit out of your dictionary. Just cut it out. I'll not be in our vocabulary. <laughs> you ought to say that about your marriage. I ain't quitting. I'm not quitting. Quit's not in my vocabulary. It ain't happening. <clears throat> but in the ministry, let me just tell you about you know, what the world's waiting for is for you to quit. They want you to quit. They want you to get so discouraged and so dismayed, they want you to quit. And in pastoring and so forth, it's, it's, it's a, and I don't know if you caught this or not this morning, but in, in the Bible reading, talking about a hireling. When the wolf comes, the hireling fleeth. And God talks about that men, instead of really truly being shepherds and pastors of the flock, they're hirelings. They're just in it for making a living. And when the going gets rough, they'll leave out. <clears throat> They're gone. And I realize it's not, not necessarily because there's, there are situations where people are just shut, shut their door, their hearts to the ministry of the gospel where, you know, Jesus talked about wiping the dust off your feet and going on somewhere else. It's just not going to change. That's why I've told some of these men, if I were you, I'd be very, very careful about taking an existing church. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying be very careful and be real thoughtful about that and make sure it's where God tells you to be. Because a lot of times you're dealing with decades and generations of trouble that's embedded in there and that the community has a, 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 just a deal against it. And then you're also sometimes people sit in there and maybe somebody thinks they just control the church and if they can't control the preacher, they're not going to be there. So you just you get a lot of problems with that. And I, if I start now, I'll be honest with you, and I didn't feel led to pastor Pacific Church, I'd probably just find me a storefront somewhere and just go at it, you know, and just start and just some, just start fresh and new and, and have my own problems. <laughs> There'll be enough of your own problems, much less 42 others from 50 years back. Amen. And because, uh, you know, but anyway about it, it, different men have different abilities. There's some things I am not good at at all. I've seen men who've got skill and ability in the ministry. I wished I had because they under, they just see through things better and they know how to how to bring people together and unify people to be together around the word of God. But anyway, make full proof of thy ministry. And as I said, now I'm going to just talk about a few things here tonight in this subject of, of the call to preach and pastoring. And it's amazing to me that here we are. I'm in the second uh, with the third of this message last Sunday morning and this morning and tonight and we have a young man answering the call to preach and announce his call tonight and I think that's pretty neat I don't know how you know, that, like, I mean how'd that happen I was preaching through this and, and God's doing that so I'm excited about that uh, I said while well, I go about making foolproof be faithful but in 2 Timothy 2.3 God told uh, Paul he said Paul told Timothy he said endure hardness <clears throat> I've said many times What's going on in my life right now is how to endure hardness without becoming hard. I'm going to talk a little bit about, about, little bit about this more in a little bit. But let me just tell you about preaching the Word of God. It is not a popularity contest, and it's not how to win friends and influence people. And it can be very, very hard. And Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, he said, they're going to give you looks. And he said, they're going to try to scare you and intimidate you by looking at you. And he said, you do not fear their faces. And that brings me to Proverbs where it says in Proverbs that the fear of man bringeth a snare. You can get entrapped. And, and I'm not saying that you should be mean or anything like that. You shouldn't be mean. 
I'll get into that in a little bit. But I'll tell you right now, people will look at you. I remember uh, one time when this church, the pulpit was up there and, and the seats were facing that way. I was, I was preaching one Sunday night and this guy was sitting on the edge of his seat back about two thirds of the way back. And I mean, he just literally was doing that at me. Just something like that. Just like he could, he could gnaw on me. I want you, I want to tell you about preaching. I want you to think about this. If you want, don't believe this, you go read it. Acts chapter seven. Philip preached a Bible message to those religious people. And they got so mad, they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, you hear me? He said, you're a stick-necked and rebellious generation. And he said, you've crucified the Son of God. And they ran upon him and bit him. Grown men bit him. That tells me I ain't never had no trouble yet. Now, somebody runs up on me and starts biting on me. Boy, and I'm telling you, Stephen, he's something else. You talk about a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And then they dragged him out, the Bible says, out the city and stoned him to death. And his last words were, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Your Father, forgive them. Where do you get that from? You got it from Jesus Christ. You talk about a man following in the steps of Jesus Christ. And Paul says the same thing in that passage of Scripture. But I'm going to say this to, to, to preachers. You cannot be afraid of men's faces or women's faces either. You just can't be afraid of their faces. You can't, you can't be a fear person with fear and be used of God. The Bible says that the righteous are as bold as lions. That's bold. You walk right out there, don't make care how many elephants is in the room. <clears throat> Amen. And we need some preachers that are bold, not cocky, not arrogant, not walking around like they're some cock of the walk, but men who say, you know what, I've got a job to do, I've got a message to preach, and I'm not going to be afraid of anybody in this room. And you, and you just, and you can be kind about that, but be firm as a rock. I mean, just be steadfast, unmovable. And you don't back up and you don't compromise and you don't, you know, all the time thinking about who's not going to like this. If you do that, you'll be out of nothing. You'll be out in no time. If you're just constantly worried about somebody thinking about what you're going to say. And I'm telling you what, you just need an old time to get loose and the Holy Ghost and let her rip. Amen? Amen. Let her fly. And, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, let me just give you, I'm just going to throw this out at you. You can go all over this country and preachers are afraid to preach on government education system, which is taking this nation to hell. Why are they not preaching on it? Tell me. Fear. Fear. Fear of man. Afraid folks will leave church, afraid to be talked about in the community. They'll be ostracized. Uh, you know, they don't like it. And so they're, they don't say nothing about it. I mean, think about this. They get to preach about this sin or that sin. But what about an institution that tells your children that God's a liar and the Bible has no relevance to your life? Calls God a liar right off the bat. Won't say a word about it. <clears throat> that's That's bad. They're going to be preachers to give account for that. And they won't do it because they're fearful of losing people, losing uh, popularity and approval and acceptance in the community. And it's it's killed America. I'll talk about this in a little while. Now, let me say something else about preaching. And I'm not good at this, but it's just the truth. A preacher needs to have compassion. Compassion. He needs to care about people. First of all, he needs to care about where people spend eternity. He needs to care about souls. 
He needs to look at people and see deeper than just who they are on the outside. He needs to see souls that will spend eternity somewhere. If a man's a preacher and he doesn't care about souls, he has no business being in the preaching business. Amen. Amen. You need to care about people. And that's not just behind the pulpit, but I'll tell you what I mean. I'll do this. <clears throat> There's time, a lot of times if, I, if the Lord gives me a chance and I know for sure that somebody's lost or I'm pretty sure they're lost, <coughs> I may lay my hand on them. They come by me. I may just step aside and say, listen. You've told me with your own mouth, you're not saved. You're going to bust hell wide open. I love you. you, you I want you, please think this week about your soul. Please, please stop and get saved. You got to care about people. Now, that doesn't come natural. God has to put that burden and that love for people inside. But if we love people, we're going to care about people and have compassion. And by the way, it's not just doing that. It's what's going on in, in the flock's life. What's going on in people's life? I, when I walk here on Sunday morning, there are people in here that are extremely lonely. There are people that are extremely hurting. There are people that don't know how they're going to pay the bill they got this week. And a pastor needs to care. I, tell you, I don't have a member, Brother, Brother Horner, and by the way, he's out of the hospital and back home. And I remember him preaching here one night. He come preach one night, and he preached on the, uh, how to be a blessing to your church. And he was talking about, he said, you know what a lot of pastoring is? It's just going to those that's going through a hard time and sitting there for an hour and a half and listening to them. And everybody, every five minutes going, oh, my, my. And then about five minutes later, say, mercy, mercy, mercy. What a shame, isn't that? That's sad. And he said, about another five minutes, say, are you kidding me? Mercy, mercy, mercy. He said, that's pastor. (laughs) And and not being funny, really not being funny about it, but caring and listening to people, they're hurting. And they want to know, does anybody care? Does anybody care that I'm going through a tough time? Now, I'm going to throw this out at you right now. When you walked over to me and you said, you don't want to interrupt me. And I said, then don't. That was real nice of me, wasn't it? <laughs> she walked over to me and said, I don't want to interrupt you, but. And I said, well, don't interrupt me. I'm right. <laughs> but she, we, we had a good time with it. By the way, she gave me a deal. We made sure the church. But you know what I was writing down? Something God spoke to me about tonight. We just had a snowstorm. And uh, a lot of people's driveways and walkways where they, they couldn't get out or they were having on. Now, I'm 68, you know, doing halfway decent for 68, I think. But I'm thinking about 10 years from now, 78. And it's snow. And my wife, I mean, she did real good this week. She shoveled the walkway out. <laughs> she did. I, I come in the house and she's out there shoveling the snow. I say, amen, I got a good one, amen. <laughs> she didn't get all the wood in I wanted her to get in, but she did get the snow shovel. <laughs> but... I, this evening, the Lord put on my heart, Reggie, now we're, we're going to be moving in 1 Timothy 3, in verse number 8, down to deacons. And boy, we're, <laughs> we're going to have a time, we're going to teach and preach on deacons in the church and what it's all about and everything. What God spoke to me, I said, Reggie, you know you're going to be moving into the verse 8, all about deacons? And this week you had people in the church who had driveways and sidewalks and so forth that needed to be clean. And I think we need to have a team of men or young men in this church who are ready at a call to go to a widow's house or an elderly couple's house to help them during a storm time or during a time of needing of help. I, I do. And so I'm going to be working on that. So if you get in the volunteer attitude, get, let me know, okay? But it would be good, you see, if, if we had somebody to call because I don't want to go out at 10 o'clock at night and shovel your, I want some of these younger guys to do it. Amen. No, sir. But we, it would be good if we, we need to care about each other. 
And, uh, and I, I'm going to say another thing. I'm going to preach on widows here in a few weeks. And you're probably not going to like it. This whole thing is messed up in this country, and I'm, I'm pretty aggravated about it. You read your Bible, it'll straighten you out in a hurry on this business of widows. And uh, we need that. But anyway, boy, where'd that come from? Anyway, <clears throat> I, I want to do that. I'll be on that more. So, but we need, he needs to carry it. And by the way, caring comes from love. And, and I'm telling you right now, charity is so important. The charity suffers long and is kind. Though I, though I you know, know all the prophecies and I'm able to move mountains and all this kind of stuff, and though I'm able to speak and all this stuff, and have no charity, it profits me nothing. Getting up and preaching and articulating, and t- you know, if I don't have love to people, it doesn't amount to anything. Somebody has said if they, they don't care how much you know to, they know how much you care or something of that nature. And, and if you're going to pastor and preach, you're going to have to love people. You're going to suffer along with people. Just keep loving them, keep loving them, keep loving them. And this is a big one. I'm just going down through some things that I felt the Lord put on my heart in pastoring. That is, you need to die to yourself. I read the passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 20 where Paul said, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Where did he get that? Where did Paul get that spirit? Neither count I my life, my own life, dear to myself. That's, a, that's an amazing statement, by the way. He said, I do not count my life dear to myself. Where did he get that from? Anybody know? He got it from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, that any man that, if you lose yourself for the gospel's sake, you'll, you'll, you'll keep your life. But if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. Paul said, I lost my former life and I've kept my life because I lost that former life. If you're going to be in the ministry, and by the way, intuitively people know this, you're going to have to lose your life that you had planned. And you're going to have to say, Lord, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what this is. When I surrendered to preach that night, I had no clue what it meant. I, I literally stepped out into just the abyss of the future, not knowing what it would mean for me, my wife, my children, where I would live my life at, what, where I'd be at, what I'd be doing, literally. And, and everything that I had previously planned on and dreamed about and planned on doing, that had to die that night. Just now, God, uh, I don't know whether it's in mercy or, or, or just being honorary to me, kept me here. <laughs> But, you know, uh, I had no clue. I didn't know whether I'd be in California preaching, New York, Kansas, Arkansas. I had no idea. I sure didn't have any idea that I'd be up here at Norwood, Missouri. I'm just being honest about it. I had no idea in the world that I'd be here for these whatever it is years now. And so you have to die to your life. Now, Jesus told his disciples, if any man come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Can I tell you the number one? There's two or three things that are not preached in America churches. Number one is denying yourself. That is not being preached. Second of all, the cross is not being preached because he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That is not being preached in America. Average Christian going to church now has no clue about this concept of Christianity, of denying self-denial. And yet it is part of, now self-denial is not what saves you. This is talking about discipleship. We're talking about serving. We're talking about pastoring. It involves self-denial. It's not what you want to do anymore. It's what does God want me to do. And it also is picking up a cross. 
And that cross is not somebody else's cross. It's your cross. And this is a big subject right here. But the cross kills. Let me just say that first. A cross is designed to kill. And it's dying to your old life. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He said, I am crucified. and God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And the cross kills and it will kill your old life. And, but God gives resurrection into a new life. And I'm so thankful for that because that's the joy of my entire existence right now is the new life that God gave me in Jesus Christ. Now what scares me is what I would have missed if that hadn't happened. But I'm telling you, if you're going to be a preacher, a pastor, you're going to have to die to your life. Now I'm going to tell you something. There's an Old Testament principle of this when Abraham took Isaac up to be offered. Let me just tell you something. God wasn't after Isaac. God was after Abraham. You say, well, if I surrendered to preach, I couldn't do my dreams of what I wanted to do. I can promise you something. God will ask you to take it to Mount Moriah and lay it on the altar and be willing to die to it. He not only was offering Isaac, the whole issue was not Isaac, it was Abraham. Abraham had to die to Isaac. And God, and you need to ask yourself, what is my Isaac? Because Isaacs are what keep people from surrendering to God. And God will ask you and insist upon you, if you're going to serve him, to lay your Isaac upon the altar and die to it. And uh, this is big stuff. Now, I'm just telling you, that means that your dreams and your plans and all that you were going to do with your life is going to have to be died to. Now, for me, let me tell you how how things worked out. Now, does anybody know how that all worked out? He 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 didn't lose him. He gained him. And what you think that you're going to, what you give to God, God will maintain for you and keep for you. And what happened with me was a lot of the stuff that Satan had been telling me that I would lose, that was a lie. He sure never told me what I was going to gain and the blessings of it. He just painted the bad picture of all the stuff that I was going to lose, my Isaacs that that I'd have to give up to serve God. And so that's all a big lie and God's going to require you to give your Isaac up. But I'm telling you something, what he's after is your heart. That whatever he tells you to do, you'll do it. And we all have our Isaacs, things that we have dreamed about doing. And we think, man, if I was surrendered to preacher, I was going to mission field, man, I wouldn't get to do that. So I'm not going to give God my Isaac. <clears throat> anyway, and of course, serving is involved in pastoring, serving people and uh, serving is unto the Lord and not unto men. And uh, I, so, sometimes God calls us to serve in strange ways. And I remember especially getting started preaching some, you know, just people when someone would die or be in the hospital and things. And I've never been real good at this, but uh, I always remember when uh, Sister Jean, your dad, was sick. Uh, Please help me. Clyde Ferris and Millie, and they were dear friends. And and, uh, Clyde got sick and. Millie was milk cows down there, and I went down and helped her milk. And Millie had gotten kicked down bad. I'm sure you remember it. Cows, she had a stanchion barn, and she was trying to milk her husband's hospital and had a stanchion barn. I mean, she got hurt. She bruised. And I went down to milking cows, and I remember thinking, I didn't know this was part of preaching. 
But some, you know, sometimes God will just ask you to serve, and there's blessings in serving and so forth, okay? I'm not real good at that kind of thing, but anyway, it's part of it. But I want to say, as we try to wind this thing down tonight, that the most important thing I can tell any, anybody who's starting to preach is this. I don't care what, how, when it happens or whatever got to happen to make it happen or cause it to happen, but that is get full of the Holy Ghost of God. Get the anointing on you and the unction from God from heaven. Now, I don't, this is hard to describe, but I am telling you something. I knew when I started preaching, I knew I needed something. I knew I needed a power that was beyond myself. One day, a man uh, handed me a cassette tape, and I, I had a little red love pickup, a little red love pickup. <clears throat> had a cassette player, and I shot that thing in, and I was going through town here. And this guy started preaching. And I'm like, and I said to myself, it's the first time nearly in my life that I've heard somebody preach like I think it, things ought to be preaching. I mean, he was, he was, preaching, on, um, he was preaching on the subject of... Um, uh, the different types of devils that's in the Bible and how they affect people's lives and so forth. I'm, I'm trying to think the name of the message. Was. This man's going to be here for the camp meeting. <clears throat> uh, when I and I went to Danny, I think he was, he was with, yeah, you was with us. Went down to Camp Zion, Myrtle, Mississippi, and one of the things, reason I went down there was to hear Brother Ronnie preach. Brother Oscar had given me a couple of cassettes of his. And I'm telling you, I just felt like, I don't know, for me, you know, different preachers and different people like different kind of preachers, okay? I understand this. Um, but it's it just like it just hit me. I mean, there's something, there's, this is what I'm, this is what I'm, and, and in the process of that, uh, I don't know how to explain this, but here's what I would just simply say this. Go out in the woods, go somewhere, get on your face and say, God, I am not going to live without the anointing. I'm not going to live without unction. I'm not going to live without your power. I can't do this job without your power. And that's what I want to say to you tonight. There's no way to overstate being filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit is coincide being filled with the Word. If you just go, just go say, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit, and you're not willing to read the Word, meditate in the Word, and study the Word of God, I'm very doubtful God will give you much of the Spirit because those two go together. They, they're, t- they're tandem together, and you're just, th- th- that tandem truck runs down the road together. You just, not one, there's not one axle on that deal. And again, as I said, love people and be faithful to God. And I would encourage you to be enthused and keep being excited. You know, you're just going to have to keep being excited. There's been many a Sunday I've walked in here, and I'll tell you what, I was hurting, and I was disgusted either at myself or situations in life. But I've, I've come up the road a lot of times, and God said, Reggie, this is not about you. Are you listening to me? This is not about you. I've got people up there that need help, and they need to hear from my word today. And so, me and you will deal with your problems after church. But you get a smile on your face and get a happy heart in your, your chest, and you, give enth- you be enthused about my work. Now, we weep with each other. We try to bear each other's burdens and so forth and all that. But I'm going to tell you something. If I come in here, if, if I did that, every Sunday you'd be here in the moaning and the groaning and the complaining and the griping. That's all you'd ever hear from me. And I'm going to tell you, God somehow or another just gives grace. And I come into church, and you people help me. You lift me. I literally, this is honest truth, I walk in here and just start meeting with people and hey how you doing good to see you shake your hand visit with a little bit I, now I come over here and sit down these guys are singing up here and boy the next thing I know I forgot about my troubles and my sorrows and it's all better amen, amen. and you know and God gives me help and so that's what a preacher you need to be enthused you're going to lead people you're going to have to have some enthusiasm you're going to have to say let's go Now charge hell with a squirt gun amen, amen. I'm telling you we've got to do that and uh, let me just say something further there. Uh, have a joyful, try to have a joyful, cheerful spirit as best you can. 
be biblically optimistic. I'm not talking about humanistic uh, optimism. I'm talking about, I can be optimistic because Jesus is coming back. I promise you he's coming back. He's got me a mansion he's building in heaven. He's coming back for me. He's going to keep me. He'll never leave me. There's a lot of reasons I can be biblically optimistic. And I will tell you this, people are drawn to optimism, biblical optimism. They want to have hope and they want to have truth and they're drawn to that. And so now let me say something further. Preacher needs to see into eternity. If a preacher doesn't see into eternity, he's in trouble. You've got to see into eternity. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I have to keep in the head, you know what? I'm not wasting my time. I'm not wasting my time because the devil tried to tell me you're wasting your time. You wasted your life. This is all a joke. And I have to keep telling myself, renewing my mind, spiritual mind. No, I'm not wasting my time. Then I'll say this to you. Be clear minded and clear eyed. Don't get your mind fogged up by humanistic philosophies and denominational lines and stuff. Keep clear-eyed and clear-minded with the Word of God. Be open, have your mind open to the Word of God, but not open to everybody else's talks and stuff. Somebody says, oh, we need to be open-minded. Only to the Bible do I need to be open-minded. The rest of it, I've got to guard my mind. Okay? But keep clear-minded and uh, aware of what's going on. You know... I don't think God wants us to be stupid about things that could hurt us or hurt other people. We need to be you know, thoughtful about what, what are their motives, what are their intents, what are they up to, what's the purpose, what's, what's their attitude, and so forth. And, uh, and I'm going to say this is big. Accept who you are. Thank God preachers aren't all alike. Amen? Amen. Boy, hadn't it been good on Wednesday nights? I think Brother Jim's preaching, and then Brother Kime is going to preach the week after that, and then we'll ring around again, and Brother we'll just be back in. And I don't, we, we may go another round or two on that. I don't know. But I tell you, it's been good. And, uh, and, and I, I, I tell you, accept who you are. You know, Brother Luce is not me, and I'm not him. Jim's not me, and I'm not Jim. Amen, amen. And I always tell you, be who you are. Don't try to be somebody you ain't. And that's one of the worst things preachers fall into. They, they'll get to where they comb their hair just like the guy they idolize. You know, they comb their hair just like him. Then they try to have phrases just like him, you know. And they try to, you know, and that's junk. If you're a hillbilly, be a hillbilly. Amen? Amen. If you're a Yankee, be a Yankee. I'm serious with you. Just be who you are. B.R. Lincoln said, if I could play one note on the piano, it'd be be natural. <laughs> be who I am. Amen. If I could play one note. Accept who you are. And uh, uh, who was the other day? I had a preacher call me. And he was a talking to me this week. And, and he was a talking to me. And he told me, he said, uh, he said, Reggie, I've got Bell's palsy. And he said, I really need prayer. And he said, it's just hindering me in my talk. I said, I couldn't tell you had Bell's palsy. Well, he felt like he wasn't being understood as he was preaching to his church. And it was really bothering him, you know. And I said, brother, can I just tell you something? If you hadn't told me you had Bell's palsy, I would know you had Bell's palsy over the phone. I said, I can hear you. You sound just like you always did. Don't let the devil bother you with that. Now, you know, I'm sure it's a lot more to him than it would be to me. But I'm just saying this. Uh, accept who you are, where God has you at, and so forth. If, if your pastor is six people and four of them are your kids and the other one's your wife, amen, if that's where God's got you, that's what it is, amen. Size of churches and ministries, it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness that God counts. Oh, Mo, oh Noah didn't have too big a congregation, did he? Pastored 120 years and preached. 
Better keep him in mind. He'll encourage you when you think they've all, when you think they ain't nobody interested. I, I, some of you, most of you folks ain't been called to preach. I don't hope you get anything out of this. I hope it'll help you. And then here's another thing preachers got to do, and that's forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And for seven times seven, but forty nine, forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. You've got a choice. You can either forgive or be bitter the rest of your life. Just well forgive. That doesn't mean you have fellowship. doesn't mean you get along with everybody. doesn't mean you agree with everybody at all. It just means that you have to forgive and look to them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I'm telling you what, because we all need forgiveness. And I'll tell you right now as a preacher, you're going to need to forgive people constantly. And, and, this, and there's another thing. Spend lots of time with God and reading the Word of God and listening. And then the next thing, and I'm just running through this, have vision. Bull Paul had vision. Man, he's going to go up through Asia and he's going to start a church here and start a church there. And he's a church planner. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you what, he had vision. A pastor needs to have vision. We're going to do something for God. Amen. We ain't just going to meet and have church this Sunday. We're going to do something for God. I'm all excited. We're having camp meeting. We're going to mail out 8,550 two lesson booklets and I've got a letter from New Zealand. The guy got saved and I'm just all excited about serving God. Amen. Yeah. I'm just telling you, I mean, it, it just, boy, have a vision. Amen. I, here's my deal. A guy talked to me the other day on the phone. He says, well, Reggie, what are, you, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to get the gospel to everybody everywhere, every time I can. That's my whole, that's it in a nutshell. Trying to get the word of God to everybody everywhere, every time I can. That's it. Ain't complicated. Amen. Real simple. Just get the word of God out. I just, I, my, here's my vision in life. I got a sack over my shoulder and under my arm and it's full of gospel seed. And I'm walking through this world going like this, just a throw in it. You say, well, some of it going to land on bad. Yeah, lots of it lands on hard ground, but some of it hits. Some of the hits. And then I said this last week, I ain't going to spend much time on this, but you need you a good godly wife who's walking with God and who's got more sense than you. And that wouldn't take a lot. Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, they had no way to overdo that. I preached on that. Now, a preacher with a lot, I'm going to close out with this right here. A preacher with a lot of experience told me early in the ministry, he said this to me one time. He said, Reg, he said, I would say to you this, be careful as you get older. He said, preachers have a tendency to do one or two things as they get older. And boy, I'm, I'm there. He said, number one, they'll get compromising and cave in and weaken to the pressures just to keep their friends. And they'll cease standing for what they used to stand for. And they won't preach truth and righteousness. And they just want to get along with everybody and finish out smooth. Or, he said, they get mean as the devil. <laughs> and he said, they'll get hard and calloused and wounded in their spirit. And they're bitter. And, they, and he said, neither one of them is no good to God. And, my, and I'm not going to lie to you, my tendency is that last one, getting hard, callous. Like I say, I'm just trying to say, Lord, how do I endure hardness without becoming hard? And I will tell you folks something, you're part of the reason it helps keep me from, I come to church, you're helping me to keep from being hard. You are. That's just the truth. I've tried to survey the wreckage of denominations and Christendom in America. I'm going to say some things here now. At one time, the church was the most in cultural, influential entity there was in America. I can prove that to you by taking you to Washington, D.C., where on all the buildings up there, there are verses engraved in marble and granite. I can take you to Jeff City, and on the Jeff City tundra, uh, rotunda in granite, righteousness exalted the nation. Verses carved in granite. 
the Christian church, the church in America had such cultural power and influence on our country that it became embedded into our constitution, being endowed by our creator. And they, they wove the concept of God's sovereignty into our constitution and principles of the Bible. All the freedoms that you know and enjoy, freedom of speech, freedom of faith, and all that kind of stuff came out of the, that you have in the Bill of Rights Constitution came out of the Bible. Three branches of government came out of the Bible, judicial, executive, and legislative it's in the Bible. What happened to the churches? To where there's no more any influence, we've ceased to be salt, and in fact, where Jesus said it would be in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if the salt hath lost its savor, stands forth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. And, that's, and that word trodden there, that's a military term. Stomping the church down. That's what's happening in America right now. The church is being stomped down because the, the culture has decided we're no good for anything. I've often said if you went into Mansfield tonight and you walked down, started down the street and you knocked on the door and said and had a we're taking a survey. We're asking you, what are the churches in your Mansfield area here good for? If we went down through Norwood tonight, we need to ask ourselves this. If we went down Norwood tonight and took a survey and said Liberty Faith Church right up here on the on the corner, what is Liberty Faith Church good for in your town? God said, if we've lost our Savior, we're thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out. And we're being cast out of the culture in America and trodden underfoot. How did it occur? This is interesting to me. I hope it be to you. But here's what I know has happened. What got the churches? It was a forsaking of the unbending, unyielding truth of the Word of God. And I will show you how this happens. And I watched this in my 40 years of preaching. You see, truth is unbending, or it ceases to be truth. As I mentioned this morning, numbers do not lie. Absolutes are a reality of the universe that God created, and it's a reality of the book that he has written. There are absolute, this is a book of absolute truth. It is not a book of relative humanistic thoughts. Right, wrong, up, down. Heaven, hell, saved, lost. God, the devil. It's absolute truth, okay? The church was and still is the custodian of the truth of the word of God. God didn't put it in federal government, didn't put it in state government. He put the custodial care of the truth to a nation, to a people in his word. And we are the custodians, now watch this, of the truth to a nation. So what happened? Well, on one hand, and this, this is where, and I've watched this. On one hand, the church, and especially the church leaders, are to hold and contend and maintain the truth of God's word and to proclaim it and to take it through the preaching in the congregation into all areas of the life of culture. Farmer, businessman, welder, doesn't make any difference. And they were to take, and here's the difference between early American Christianity and modern Christianity. They took the truths of God's word 
out into their lives. And if they walked into the legislative chamber, they didn't make humanistic, nice sounding statements. They used the word of God. And I'll prove this to you. Benjamin Franklin said in the midst of the congressional deal, trying to write the Constitution, said, if a sparrow cannot fall without his, our Heavenly Father's attendance, how do we expect to rise a nation without his assistance? And I hereby recommend that we have prayer every day before we start session. What was he doing? He was saying, Jesus Christ said that a sparrow can't fall without his knowledge and his awareness. And if we're going to do something, we need to bring God into this thing. You can talk all your lies want to about Benjamin Franklin. He's probably a sinner. I'm sure he was. But I'm going to tell you what, he knew more Bible than most preachers do, seemed like. And not only that, but he was not afraid to take the Bible into the culture. How would you like to have been sitting at the Constitutional Convention and all of a sudden you say, the Bible says, and we're trying to do something here. We better get God involved here. There was a woman this week who stood up at the Greenville, South Carolina school board meeting. And it's a shame right now that it seems like women are the only ones that are standing and saying anything. And it's sickening. And where's the daddies? And she told them what they had been teaching the children. And I mean, she had her goods together. I mean, did what? She let them have it. And she says, you're not teaching my child anymore. We're gone. And she said, I want to tell you further. I'm starting an organization. And a year from now, I'll have 10,000 children out of the public school system in this county. And the year after that, I hope to have 10 times that number. We're going to take you people out of business for destroying our children. And she took the Bible and she quoted scripture after scripture after scripture. And she said, you've taken God and the Bible. And he, she said, we're to acknowledge him in all of our ways. You're not only not acknowledging him, you are demonizing our children with all of this trash, filth, out of hell teaching that you're ins- insisting that our children sit and listen to. And I'm thinking, where's the men? Where's the men? I mean, she stood in that meeting. And boy, I mean, there's about eight or ten of them sitting there and they're going, You know what she did? She did what Benjamin Franklin, she took the Bible into the public arena, unashamedly unafraid. Right. Now, she wasn't mean, but i tell you one thing. You could tell she meant what she said. Amen. All right. Here's what happened. On one hand, we're to hold and stand and contend for the truth and maintain it, proclaim it, stand upon it and war spiritual warfare with it. But on the other hand, now watch this. There is not to be a people on the face of this earth or in this nation who are more gentle kind, compassionate, and caring than the church. So we have a difficult job. On one hand, we're to stand, and having done all, stand. Having our loins girded about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of spirit. On the other hand, we're to be, watch it, Paul said it like this, and preachers, here's what it is, speaking the truth in love. And that's exactly the order that God gives it. And this is what a preacher has to do. He has to preach the truth. He can't, don't reverse it. He can't preach love and then throw a little truth at the end of it. He has to preach truth, but he must do it in love. Here's what happened. And I'm, I'm going to refrain tonight from naming, but I literally, I know what I'm talking about tonight. Okay, I know, I mean, I, this, is, this, is my, this is my field. In denomination after denomination in America, 
that used to be so powerful in influencing the culture of the national uh, culture and their state cultures, the denominations got infiltrated like Paul said in Acts 20. He said, I know that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in, not sparing the flock. And he said this would happen. He said they'll bring in heresies and damnable stuff, okay? Here's what happened in denominations. You used to have men who at their denominational conventions and meetings and organization would get up behind the pulpits and preach to those preachers and stand for righteousness and stand for holiness. And boy, I mean, they, they would keep their preachers on fire. Remember that de Tocqueville from France came over here and said that the secret to America was only found when he came into the churches and they were a flame of fire with the righteousness of God. He said that is the secret to America's greatness. Here's how the wolves came in. Somebody would introduce a heresy and somebody would stand up and say, now watch this. Well, that's not right. And two brethren would start having trouble. Where it really started with was the Bible. They started bringing the false Bibles into the churches. Now watch this. And an old preacher would get up and say, what, what, what are you reading out of? Well, they've got this new, it's the NAR, you know, back in about 1900, 1910, 1912. Or I can't think of the, the names of them, NASB and all that stuff. There are so many alphabets now, I can't keep them all straight. And the old preacher would say, well, what are you doing that for? Did you realize we couldn't stand together on Sunday morning and read John chapter 10 if we didn't all use the same Bible? That's right. Okay. Couldn't do that. It'd be like Babel. All right. It's one of the reasons we do that, much less the benefit that we get from it. Here's what happened. The old men stood up and said, that's not right. Here comes somebody in and said, you're being judgmental. You're supposed to be kind and gracious. You're judging the brethren here. And I'll tell you, I've watched this and watched it and watched it. They take, they take a denomination of people and the, the men who tried to stand, Danny, you know what I'm telling you is right. The men who tried to stand for the truth were called harsh, mean, intolerant, bigoted, judgmental. And they were shoved out. And the wolves came in under the sheep's clothing of being kind so here comes a woman to the convention, and she's, she's been called to preach, and she's passed the church, and, 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 and old Thomas said, well, the Bible says that ain't right. You're being critical. You ought to talk to her. She's sincere. She has the Spirit of God on her. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. If it's against the Word of God, she doesn't have the Spirit of God on her. Amen. The Bible's the final authority. But what they would do is, and then they would cow those people down. Now we're to the point of where it's went way past that to where queers have been called to, and they want to put, I'm just going to tell it like this, I hate to say the Methodist church is full of lesbian yep. women preachers. Yep. Full of them. Yep. And how did it happen when you had men like John Wesley <sighs> who breathed revival into America? Part of the Great Awakening. How it happened was the devil took that and said, you're to be kind. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. You stood up and made them look bad at the convention. 
And pretty soon they shoved all the men who stood. By the way, can I say tonight, that's how you got what's called the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. They came out of the Southern Baptist Movement. They shoved them out because they wouldn't compromise with them. And you've got it, by the way, a lot of your churches right now that God is using across America aren't hooked up with anybody. And the reason they're not hooked up with anybody is because the group they came out of has went apostate. And so preachers, young men, no matter what age you are, this is an issue you're going to have to deal with. Because if you stand, then they're going to try to make you out of being harsh. And they're going to try to weaken you down by saying, you need to be, oh, you're just too mean. You just got to, you know, well, isn't he harsh when he preaches? And did, can you believe he said, said such a thing from the pulpit? And that kind of thing. And it becomes pretty soon, it becomes the culture of the movement. You've got to have a suaveness. You've got to be able to talk smooth. You've got to be able to stay away from certain things. You, you kind of keep weaving your way through sin and all this kind of stuff. And pretty soon it, it's so gone, the Holy Spirit is just literally lifted. And they're left to their own psychology. And they're left, watch this, to their own imitation of the power of God and the movement of God and the Spirit of God. They get a false spirit working in there to hoop people up. And that's what, anyway, y'all know, I think, everybody got the idea? You got it. And I was going to say this and try to be done. God give us labors. Jesus literally specifically said to pray for labors. He said the harvest is, is ripe. He said the labors are few. And I'm going to tell you something. If America could raise up 10,000 preachers with the fire of God in their soul that didn't care whether they ever made another dime and didn't care about being liked, this is what changed America. Make your calling and election sure. Sometimes I like to think that God would raise up in World War II as we were sending armaments to England to fight Germany with. The, the Germans were sinking the, the ships with submarines. And what we did was we organized convoys with destroyers and we floated together. And boy, I, I like to think of America could raise up a convoy of preachers and ministries and churches that would go out what God could do and how we could protect each other and encourage each other and strengthen each other in the word of the Lord. Well, uh, I just want to say this. When you're done with it all, a preacher's got to have a close personal walk with God. Let me just say to them, church ties, as good as they may be, will not hold you in the end. Doctrinal knowledge will not hold you in the end. Denominational affiliation will not hold you in the end. Traditions will not. Family ties cannot hold you. Marital ties, sibling ties, parental ties cannot hold you and sustain you. Only Jesus Christ in this book can sustain you through the storms that you will pass through. They will not hold and anchor your soul in the hour of trial. Only Jesus and his word. And I was leaving the house this morning, and to be honest with you, my heart was sunk, and I just, I actually thought, boy, I don't know how I'm going to get up and preach today. I was cutting across over through there, and all of a sudden, it's like a little bird came out of heaven, just said, what a friend we have 
in Jesus. All our griefs, I can't even to share. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Are you weak and heavy laden, burdened with the load of care? I probably got it all messed up, but you got the idea. <clears throat> this morning it all come to me. It's not, night, I can't get it. But you know what? I was going on the road out there. It's just like the presence of God came. He said, Reggie, I got you. I've got, it. I've got the whole deal. And I'm just telling you, there's nothing. You can have all this other stuff and maybe do all this stuff kind of right. But in the end, it's just going to have to be, you're going to have to have a close walk with Jesus. And I wished I had a better one. <clears throat> We're going to close tonight. <clears throat> and a young man talked to me just not too long ago that he felt like maybe God called him to preach. And I told him, I said, you make your election and call him sure. And uh, he come to me today, this morning, and he said, Reggie, I'm sure. And he told me that he thought maybe it was evangelistic. He didn't know about that. But Tobias, I want you to come on up here. And Tobias is answering the call. He's making his public announcement called Preach Tonight. I'm just going to let him say what he needs. He said, now, after he's done, what we're going to do, I'm going to ask his daddy and his mama and his siblings that are here to come. I'm going to ask you, Neil, right here in front of this pulpit. And I want all, anybody and everybody that will to come. And we're going to pray for him because he's going to need it. But this is what we need, and this really thrills my heart to see a young man. I, I tell you what I really like about it. He's not all emotionally. It's just like, you know what? God's called me to do a job. Let's go. Tobias, you come on. <clears throat> so for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Tobias Mitchell. Um, my family sits back there in the back. Um, and I can tell you, uh, I've gotten used to sit back there, so looking at all of you from this angle is a lot scarier. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to uh, read some scripture from the uh, book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, before I tell you all. Um, in verse 4, it starts out, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth, out of the womb I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. The Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all, and I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I, am, I have put my words in thy mouth. Amen. Amen. And then, Jump down to verse 16, it says, And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all the wickedness who have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods and have worshipped the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I commanded thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, for behold I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and a brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, and against the priests thereof, and against the peoples of the land. And they shall fight against thee, and they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Um, I got saved down at Camp Joy when I was seven years old. Um, 
Danny Douglas was preaching, and uh, the Lord convicted me, and I went forward, and I got saved. Um, it took a few years. I kind of just wandered around. I didn't. I thought, you know, I'm saved. I can just live how I want. Um, but after a while, uh, and actually, it's the Bible I have now. My mom gave me a Bible when I was 11, or when I, when I turned 11 in November, and she had told me if you read. Uh, three chapters a day from Genesis, Job, and Matthew once, once a day. You can finish the Bible in a whole year and a half. So I thought, okay, why not? I like challenges. So I went ahead and I took the challenge and sure enough, I finished it in a year and a half. And in that time, God really he showed me how valuable it was to walk with Him and how I needed to depend on Him. And ever since then I've been trying to walk with Him. There's been times I've stumbled. There's times I've fallen. But He's, he's kept me and last fall um, we were taking a class in uh, our schools of study on the book of Revelation and the teacher was talking about the uh, we're working our way through the seven churches from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea and the pattern was the ones that suffered for Christ Smyrna and Philadelphia there was no rebuke in the book of Revelation for them all the other churches had some rebuke for them that they had forsaken God, they had compromised, they had done something, and they had not stayed faithful to the Lord. And the Lord started dealing with me then about what am I doing to serve the Lord? I'm, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm trying to stay faithful, but what am I really doing for the Lord? And then uh, me and my brother started coming on Wednesday nights, and um, I can't remember everyone. I can't remember everyone who preached uh, specific messages, but I remember there's a message preached on travailing for Christ. I think it was Brother Josh that preached on travailing for Christ. And that really hit me hard because it's like I'm not, I was not travailing for Christ. I was afraid to talk to people at gas stations. I was afraid to say anything at my work. And that really hit me hard. And I started praying. I started asking God what he wanted me to do. And then there was another message um, Again, I think it was Brother Josh that he preached on David and Saul and Jonathan and how Jonathan had every aspect, every single thing he needed to become a king. But the one thing he lacked was anointing. And I just started feeling this tug on my heart to preach. And mainly the, the thing is, where this this country is going, I used to think, oh, it's it's the politics, it's it's Biden, it's it's Pelosi, it's it's all these liberals out there, it's the abortion, it's the education system, it's it's what Americans are doing wrong. But really, what it is it's and it's no accident he said it, Pastor. It's it's the church. Yeah. The church has lost its power. And there was a, a message that talked about on Wednesday night that talked about that we have lost the power of God. And that's the reason why nothing's getting done in this country. There's nothing happening for the cause of Christ. It's all, all the churches are just, that they're going up and they're, they're ritualistic. They, they preach, they, they go through all the motions, but nothing happens. No souls are saved. Nobody is converted. There's no preachers being called. And God started working on me. And I believe that, I, I know God's called me to preach. And he's given me a, a huge burden for these churches. I believe God's called me to evangelize the churches of America. 
and I need a lot of prayer. It's a big task, and there's a lot, there's a lot of responsibility. But God's given me a vision to preach. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know where he's going to take me. But I want to stay faithful to him, and I want... I don't want to see this nation go to hell. And I believe that there's still hope. But I need prayer. A lot of it.